<laughs> now, if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it to the book of Matthew. If you haven't, there's a few here uh, which can be handed out, so please just put your hand up and one will be delivered to you. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 in the New Testament. When I've been speaking, we've been working through um, the Sermon on the Mount, coming towards the end of that. So we're going to read this morning, um, well, let's read from verse 13 in Matthew 7. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By your fruit you'll recognize them. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every fruit that is cut, every fruit that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me will say, says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, so we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Last time I preached, we looked at this part about enter through the narrow gate um, and walk down the road that is narrow. Not many people walking down that road. It's not a popular road. It's not the wide road uh, that many walk. Many just think, oh, it's, it's easy. Even think the Christian life is easy and let's just walk down this wide road. It's all okay. We're I'm not going to upset too many people. We don't have to make too many changes to our lives. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that road leads to destruction. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few people find it. We were looking at that last time. And then we're going to go on, and he's, he's going to continue uh, in such a really challenging vein, really, Jesus. Uh, the verses that we had in verse 21 onwards. You know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say, look, we prophesied, we drove out demons, we performed miracles. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. I mean, that's challenging, isn't it? Well, we'll come on to that one next week. You can look forward to that. Get your holidays planned in, just so you (laughs) know. But in the middle, in the middle, he has, uh, he's got this other passage now. Um, And uh, we're going to look at this about false prophets, false prophets. But as I said, Jesus is concluding his message, and it's really the application part is this. This is the part of his message where he's getting his listeners to think, well, what are we going to do about this? What's our response to this message? And as I said before, there's no point in listening to a message if you've got no intention of acting uh, on whatever God says to us. Um, that's the difference between preaching and something like a lecture. You might sit in a lecture and hear a 45-minute lecture on something and think, oh, okay, that was interesting. But you might not, it might not have any impact on your life whatsoever. Uh, or a debate. People sometimes say, well, you know, preaching's a bit outdated. Why do, we, why do we have preaching? Surely we can all just meet together in a pub or somewhere and we'll just debate the Bible together. 
Well, a debate just ends up with people having different opinions and putting their point across, but there's no consistent theme. There's no going away from that saying, oh, I'm going to act on this now, necessarily. Uh, and, it, and it's different to entertainment as well. And again, others say, well, preaching should be very entertaining these days. We're in an entertainment culture. You know, we, people don't have, you can't keep people's attention if you don't entertain them. But preaching isn't entertainment. It doesn't really, it's not really commending a preacher if someone says, oh, I really enjoyed that message. You think, well, why did you enjoy it? What, 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 did you, what do you mean you enjoyed the message? What does that mean? Why did you enjoy it? Because it was entertaining? Because it was challenging for someone else? Oh, yeah, I was really waiting for that, per- that message to come because that's really going to speak to this person. They really need to change on this. Actually, when the word's preached, there should be that sort of, oh, challenge. That kind of thing in, in, your, in your gut where you just think, oh, God, yeah, you've uncovered something else. You've just revealed something else. You've just led me somewhere else on. So that's what Jesus is, is, is doing. So, as I say, now he's speaking about false prophets. False prophets. Now, why does he interject? He's been talking about the narrow way, and he's, he's going to continue and say, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, knows me. Okay, not everyone's on the narrow way. Why is he suddenly talking now about false prophets? The reason is because false prophets will try to stop us from walking down that narrow road. They'll try to stop us entering the narrow gate and walking the narrow road which leaves, leads to life. The fact, the very fact that Jesus warns us about false prophets, so warned his listeners about false prophets, and by implication us, um, must mean that there are these false prophets about. Because we might look at this and think, it's a bit irrelevant. Well, what do you mean false prophets? It's not, not something we spend a lot of time thinking about, maybe. It's a bit, well, just, let's just skip that bit and go on to the next bit. Well, the very fact that Jesus is raising it here must mean it's an issue. There's no point in having a warning sign um, if it's not warning us of anything. For example, there's a warning sign which which we can uh, just look at here. This warning sign, uh, which hopefully is about to come up on the screen there. Warning, live wire overhead. Um, That's warning us of a real danger. There's no point putting that if there isn't any electricity, if there's no danger ahead. And we can have warnings. The Bible actually gives us kind of warnings about different things. One that could we, we could put on. Let's have a look at this next one. This is one that I just found. Warning challenges ahead. That could sum it up for us, couldn't it? That could be a warning. The Bible tells us there will be challenges ahead. So that, that could be a sign that is warning us of that. Jesus here, thanks for that. Jesus here is warning us of false prophets. That means there must be these people who he's describing as false prophets. So we're going to spend a bit of time this morning looking at this and seeing what it's about. And actually, hopefully, seeing why it's important. So if there are false prophets, well, what are they like? Well, verse 15 tells us to watch out for them. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So they come to us in sheep's clothing. That doesn't mean that they go around wearing a sheep costume. Just in case there's any children who kind of get the wrong end of the stick, or even adults who go, oh, yeah, of course, I knew that. (laughs) They come to us in sheep's clothing. What it means is they won't stand out from anyone else. They'll look no different from anyone else. Um, Obviously, that's where we get the expression, a wolf in sheep's clothing, from. Um, 
But we, as the church, as God's followers, as Jesus' followers, are described in the Bible many times as sheep. And he's saying, actually, there's wolves who are going to look just like sheep from the outside. They will look the same as anyone else. They'll just like another member of the church or any other leader or anyone. You know, we, won't, we won't think anything different about them to start off with. They won't stand out. They will appear to be friendly people, um, very godly people, enthusiastic, very spiritual often. Spiritual people. They'll worship along with everyone else. They'll even speak passionately about God's love. They will not look any different. We won't be able to look and say, oh, look at them. You know, they're standing there with a miserable look on their face, and they're not worshiping. They're obviously the wolf. No, that's not, they won't be. I mean, not to go on a big wolf hunt either, particularly, but <laughs> looking around, who is it? Who's the wolf? <laughs> but they won't look any different. But underneath, Jesus says, underneath that attractive exterior, they are ferocious wolves who will devour the flock and cause real harm. In other words, they'll cause real harm to the church, to the flock. They will cause massive damage. So is this a big deal? Well, yeah, it's a big deal. There's something real to be concerned about. And actually, if we read the New Testament, we will find this theme comes up time and time and time again. You just read, need to read books that have been written to the letters to the churches, like um, books of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. Paul warns about it in Galatians. Again, Paul is warning about false teachers, people who are coming in, deceiving people, trying to lead people away. Um, Jesus mentions it again at the end of Matthew's gospel as well. And um, Let's look in detail at this one. In Acts 20, um, Luke's, Luke's account of uh, the early church. And he says in Acts 20 and verse 29, Paul is um, speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's been with them for three years. He's now leaving them. And this is what he's saying, his last message to them. He says, verse, uh, let's go from 28. Keep watch over yourself. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number. People who were there as leaders, elders, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Is this a big deal for Paul? It's a big deal. He's been there for three years, and he says day and night, he went around to each one of them with tears, saying, this will happen. Be on your guard. Be careful. So, so important to Paul. And we can just think, oh, what's, it, what's that about? It doesn't really matter. Right? It's a big deal to Paul. So evidently, God is trying to tell us that this is something which churches and church leaders need to take very seriously. So where will we see these false prophets? 
Well, as we look and we see, at the time of the early church, these people would have been right in among them, even potentially in their eldership. And that's often the case today. These people, these false teachers, these false prophets will seek to join the church maybe, and maybe quickly make friends with people. Now often they'll seek out people who are a bit on the fringe of things, maybe new people just coming into the church so they can set themselves up as a bit of an authority, a bit of a, you know, oh, I'm, I'm here, almost part of the welcoming committee even. And they'll talk about spiritual things as though they were some kind of expert. Maybe they'll bring personal words or prophecies to people, which might seem very encouraging. And Arnold was uh, pointing out to us a few weeks ago how uh, prophecies which are just always just encouraging us. And I mean, prophecy should be encouraging. I'm not, I'm not saying prophecy shouldn't be encouraging. But always when it's a personal thing, and say, oh, you know, you've been overlooked. But God hasn't overlooked you. Maybe you've been overlooked by the leadership. There's implicit criticism of the leaders there. But God's, God's got his eye on. God will bring you through. He sees what you're doing. You think, actually, it's very cunning. It's very care- sly, divisive, kind of setting up all oh, the... The leaders in this church, they've not seen your true potential. They don't know you, but I see it in you. Oh, you see it in me. Oh, right. Oh, well, I'll align myself with you a bit. People start to think. It starts to draw people away from the church very, very subtly. You know, maybe, uh, maybe these people will talk about how God is going to pour out many blessings on your life or raise your profile. Often they'll drop into the conversation how maybe they used to be in church leadership, you know, themselves. They will probably won't tell you why they're not in church leadership anymore, but they'll say that they used to be. Um, and people will quickly gather to these self-appointed leaders or experts, little groups gathering, maybe meeting together in their house. Maybe they'll invite them around and say, oh, I, I could disciple a few of you, you know. Just a few group people together being discipled. They'll comment positively in some ways about the leadership of the church. It won't be obvious. It won't be out-and-out rebellion. But they'll add, you know, of of course, you know, you you probably don't need to take what they said about that too seriously. Uh, You don't have to go as far as believing that. Or maybe say, oh, well, of course, you know, we're preaching on generosity and giving and, and freedom and grace. But, you know, of course, they're only preaching that. Because they want you to give some more, and they're going to get paid themselves. It's all for their own, own self-service, self-seeking. Little seeds of doubt just being sown. Just being sown in people's minds, which can take fruit. It's not only good things that can take fruit. You know, I had that word this morning about the, the seed or the, the bulb. It's not only good things that can take fruit in our lives. These little things, deception, rebellion hurts being just played on, just encouraged. Oh, of course. It's understandable you feel like that. They can grow and they can blossom and bloom and cause real destruction later on. Bit by bit, these people will draw away church members, the flock, the sheep from the truth and division can start to begin. Now, if we spot this as, as elders, then we will Deal with it. We're told by God to deal with it. Protect the flock, Paul says to the Ephesian elders. Guard the flock. Be diligent. 
So if we see this going on, then we will do something about it. We may well ask these people to leave the church, not come back, because we can see the damage that they're doing. But obviously, it's very useful as well for the sheep to be on their guard, for for everyone to be on their guard, because although they're in sheep's clothing, they're not always easy to spot. We'll see how we're going to spot them in a minute, because that can be helpful. Now, of course, it doesn't always have to be in the church that people can come in now and bring false teaching or false prophecy or or lead people away, because now um, we have a whole range of different media, a whole range of different ways which people can be influenced. There are books that can be bought, and some will be good books, and some will be not helpful books. There's Christian radio. There's Christian TV. And again, some of the things on that may be very good. Some of it may not be very helpful. There's the internet. And messages and ideas can be just downloaded um, in bite-sized chunks. You know, you don't have to sit and listen to a half-hour, 40-minute message. No, we'll give it you in five or ten. Little bite-sized chunks uh, presented in their attractive and innovative ways, multimedia, very visual. Surely that's more appealing to this current generation than, than actually going through a thorough exposition of Scripture. You know, that's surely what people want. But actually, that can lead people, if not careful, and if the message isn't biblical, it can lead people away from the truth. And often, that's where the danger lies. Ideas which look very appealing to people, messages which are very attractive, easy to embrace. But let's remember that these so-called leaders who are, who are on the internet, and please hear me right, I'm not, it's not blanket criticism of all people who are on TV and all people who are on the internet at all. I'm just saying, actually, the wolves can get amongst those people. The wolves can get amongst those people, and we need to be careful about spotting them. Because these people who set themselves up as leaders may well have no authority, no God-given authority over the people who they're communicating to, no accountability to people. They can quickly gain a big following, though, on Twitter or by people subscribing to their blogs and webcasts. And obviously then it's far harder for those of us who have been called as shepherds of God's people, those of us who are elders or overseers of the church, to, um, to actually keep a lookout for and protect people in the church from these wolves. Because they're not here amongst us. They're invited directly into people's homes. And we're probably not going to come around and start checking out your bookshelves or DVD collections. In fact, actually, even if some people make comments about different uh, speakers and things on Facebook, some people get a bit defensive if one of us sort of says, well, I'm not sure they're, they're too helpful. Uh, oh, who are you telling me who to listen to? Because people think, well, it's my life. I can listen to who I want. Because they, they see it as control rather than actually a genuine wanting to help and warn of different dangers. So alongside us elders watching out for people, perhaps we really need to be equipped ourselves. And Jesus helps us here, doesn't he? He helps us to see how we can spot these wolves for ourselves. Now, as I've said, first of all, before we get into this, it's important that we don't just start getting suspicious of everyone in the church and start going on heresy hunts. You know, Jesus has already addressed this at the start of chapter 7. He's talked about judging people and, not, and how, we, how we should and how we shouldn't judge people. But we need to be on our guard. What Jesus is saying here is, don't be naive. He tells us 
that these wolves in sheep's clothing will be known by their fruit. And so he gives this uh, illustration. He says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You might think, what? What are you asking that question for? Well, he's asking that question because those are fruits and bushes and trees that actually, at first glance, look very similar to each other. So let's have, let's have a look at, at one of them. Okay, that is a um, thistle, I think. So, I don't know, it's difficult to tell. Um, but uh, I think that's a thistle. Now let's have a look at this, this one. This is a fig. Okay, okay they're, they're slightly different. But they're not too different. You can see how from a distance people might get the two confused. And that's what Jesus was pointing out here. He's saying, look, there's these plants here that, and bushes that actually at first sight look very similar. He said, the, the way you'll tell is by getting into the fruit, by looking at the fruit, by eating and tasting the fruit. And he says, at first sight, it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Looks the same. A good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And it can't be any different. He says, a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. So that's the sort of acid test. That's the definitive test. We look and see what the fruit is. We don't just look at first sight, but what fruit is coming out of this person's life. And the fruit can be seen in two ways. Firstly... We can see the fruit in the person's character themselves, in what they themselves are like as a person. Maybe in their unguarded moments, not just when they're in front of people trying to impress. And secondly, we see it from what they are teaching. So we're going to briefly look at both of those things. Character and teaching. Character. It's important that we don't just judge people by their charisma. And what I mean by charisma is not the gifts that, particularly the gifts that God has given us, although actually we shouldn't just judge people by that, but, we, but just how charismatic a, a sort of personality they are. We don't just judge people by that or by their preaching style, that they've got a, a style, an engaging style, or their sense of humor. Or even, as I've said, that we don't judge people um, because they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit. That can be a difficult one. That can be one that can fool quite a few people because we can see someone and say, oh, well, they're they're clearly okay because look at that. They've prayed for that person and that person's been healed. Therefore, God's favor is on them. Therefore, everything about that person is all right. Their motives are all okay and everything. No. The Bible doesn't teach us that. In fact, actually, the Bible teaches us opposite of that. It talks about, you know, looking to see what is going on in someone. Um, in someone's life. So Saul, for example, in the Old Testament, he had the anointing of God, the favor of God removed from him. God said to him, look, I'm, I'm, you've, your character is not good. You're rebellious. You're self-seeking. I'm withdrawing my hand from you. I'm going to so, look for someone whose heart I have got, a man after my own heart. He chose David. Now, David didn't become king straight away. Saul was still king. And you might think, oh, well, Saul then is going to lose all his power. You know, he's going to be a useless king. No, no. He still moved in power in defeating the enemies of Israel. You can read the story. You think, oh, that's weird. How come God still lets him achieve victories? Well, actually, sometimes God doesn't 
remove the gifts that he's given. God gives us gifts. They don't all get removed straight away as soon as our character starts going a bit awry. And that can be confusing for people because we see the gift and we think, ah, therefore they must be okay. Therefore God's on them. Therefore God's favor's on them. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. May well be. May well be on them, but not necessarily. We need to look at the fruits of people. And what are the fruits? What are the fruits of someone's character we need to look at? Well, Galatians chapter 5 explains what those fruits are. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we need to look at people and say, are they displaying that fruit in their lives? People who are setting themselves up as spiritual authorities, I mean. People who are setting themselves up as someone who is gathering people, who is discipling people, who is a leader of people. And we say, are they displaying those fruits of the Spirit in their life? Because they won't be able to display those fruits if, if they're not good, if they're not of God. Or, instead, do we see in the li- people's lives the works of the flesh? What are the works of the flesh? Well, verse 19 says, The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Do we see that in people's lives? Is that what we see in character, people's characters? Do we see a love of things other than God, a love of money perhaps? Do we see jealousy of other people? Do we see actually that if you cross them, if you push them too far, then they fly into a fit of rage? Do you see ambition for themselves? Do you see them stirring up dissension and separating people? It may take some time to see these things in people. It may take some time. You won't recognize them straight away. But it's important to see people's character and not just their gift. Now, of course, it's far easier to see what someone's character is like if they're here amongst us, if they're in relationship with us, if, they're, if we're part of the church. Someone on God TV, someone on their own internet blog, they can portray themselves exactly how they want to portray themselves. They can manufacture their own image. It's only when you see people at close quarters you really begin to see the fruit of their lives. Uh, this was brought home to me quite quite forcefully, quite starkly, and I, I, I was concerned about this. At the time, I used to work for an organization called Tear Fund, a Christian organization. And I used to travel around quite a lot and uh, go to events like Spring Harvest, Soul Survivor, all the big festivals, Christian festivals. And uh, there were certain... Uh, people who were Christian speakers, big-name Christian speakers, who spoke at various different events and um, different things. And I got to know some of these people because I was speaking at, an, an, at the same events. Um, and some of those people really impressed me. Some of those people, I just thought, what godly people you are. You see them on stage proclaiming the truth, the Word of God. And then you see them afterwards, and you just think, there's no difference. They're just the same. That godliness is coming through in all that they do. Their kindness, the fruits of the Spirit were, were really evident. So I, I was privileged to, to be amongst people like Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor. Amazing godly man. Matt Redman, 
Tim Hughes, always an encouragement to be around, always very humble. Some of those people went out of their way to encourage people who were just serving in simple ways on the, on the PA desk, whatever. They'd go and they'd make sure that they always commended them, thanked them for their help and service. You just thought, wow, it's fantastic. They, what they were living was exactly what they were preaching. But it wasn't the whole story. There were others, and okay, there probably weren't a huge number of others, but there were others who I came across who were very popular speakers on the Christian circuit. But when you saw them, when you had a meal with them, when you saw them face to face, actually what you picked up was an arrogance, selfishness, rudeness, self-seeking, just wanting to get their name, wanting to, wanting to speak at the next big conference, wanting them to be the top of the bill or whatever it was. And you just thought, this is so ugly. So ugly. And it really distressed me. It was a real eye-opener. But it's only what Jesus is saying here. That in the Christian world, there are real sheep and real shepherds, godly shepherds. But amongst them are wolves who are only in it for themselves. Now, I've not been around that scene for about 10, 11 years now. And the names will have changed. But there'll still be wolves out there. There'll still be wolves out there. And most of us will never get the opportunity to see people face to face, never get the opportunity to know what they're really like. And so we can't get to know that side of them when we don't know them. So I would just say, I would just exercise a caution Just a caution. I'm not saying don't do this. Just be cautious about getting really into or obsessed with certain certain Christian speakers on the internet or on the TV or on the radio. Oh, I really love that. I listen to everything that they say. Okay. Well, we come on to what they say, actually, and that's the other judge, and that's the fact that we can judge them. We We can check them on that as well. Let's just be cautious when we can't really get to know someone's character. In the local church, we can and we should get to know people who preach and teach. And we should get to know their characters before we ever let them uh, up on the platform to get, a, to get a, an audience. And that's why Paul urges Timothy not to be hasty in the laying on of hands of new elders. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, and then he, he goes on in verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot be hidden. And he's saying, you know, the sins of some people are obvious. You'll see them. Oh, yeah, clearly, they're, you know, they're, they're not, we're not going to ask them to speak. Other people, he's saying, their sins trail behind them. They can look okay at first. They can look like they could potentially be a leader, an elder. He says, don't be hasty. Don't like be quick. Oh, yeah, they're going to be great. Let's get some more leaders. We need some more leaders anyway. They'll do. They'll look good. He says, no, no, no. Just be cautious. Don't, don't rush into things. We just want to see what their character is like. And the whole, a lot of Timothy and Titus talk about the character qualities of Christian leadership. It's an important thing that we don't have people teaching the flock who are going to lead them astray. Secondly then, false teaching. 
What sort of things are these false prophets trying to say to lead people away from the truth? Well, one thing is that they seem initially to have a message of good news to proclaim. Because if they didn't have a message of good news to proclaim, people wouldn't be wanting to follow them necessarily. So they seem to be having this good news message. But it's good news that isn't from God. Let's look back at Jeremiah 23, because Jeremiah 23 addresses the same issue in the Old Testament. And we hear what God thinks about this. We'll read it in uh, two sections. We'll start from verse 16. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. You think, what? (laughs) Don't listen to them. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. Now, just to clarify, this is talking about false prophets. So he's already set that out earlier on. He's not just talking generally about prophets. All right, but we haven't got time to read all of that. Feel free to read all of chapter 23 because it's really, uh, you know, give you the context of that. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, who don't like, who, who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all those who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart. In days to come, you'll understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, and yet they've run with their message. I did not send them, speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I can't see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord. We'll we'll come on to the rest later on. But he's saying, look, there's people out there who prophesy. And they say, say, oh, it's all going to be all right. It's good news, people. Good news, people. They say it to people who, who despise God, who hate God by their actions. They don't live a life following the narrow way. They don't live a life following God. But, but the message of the prophets is it's all going to be okay. And God says, I've not said that to them. They're prophesying. I've not spoken to them. If they'd have listened to what I said, then they would have told people to repent. And people would have repented. That's what I want my prophets to do. He said, they're just preaching this good news. It's all okay. Peace, peace. It's all right. He said, that's not from me. God's message, a message of repentance, doesn't make the deliverer of the message popular. You see that with the other prophets in the Old Testament. People would rather deliver a popular message People would rather preach a message that makes they're going to be liked. But Jesus has been speaking about the broad way which leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to life. And yet the false prophets will say to people, as they stand, as they hear words, and as they stand at the entrance to the narrow way, and they will say, look, you don't need to follow that narrow way. You don't need to 
change those things in your life. It's okay. It's grace. It's fine. God will accept you exactly as you are. You don't need to change your lifestyle. You don't need to do all these things about repentance. We don't need to worry too much about sin. Jesus has covered it all. It's all okay. To be honest, the way is not narrow at all. God just accepts us. You know, we just have to make a decision. Just ask him into your life. Ask him into your life. Fill in a little card. That'll do it. Take a booklet. I'll explain it. It's all done then. doesn't need any more than that. We must beware of people teaching so-called spiritual things which distract us from the truth that's in God's word. Let's listen to what else God has to say about these false prophets. Verse 25, Jeremiah 23. I have heard what the prophets who prophesy lies in my name say. They say, oh, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will these continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words, supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send them or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. Wow. Strong stuff. Hear me right. He's not speaking about all people who prophesy. He's not speaking about all prophets. No. But he's saying there are false prophets out there, and this is what they do. They will pretend to have heard something from God, and it will sound plausible. It will sound spiritual. Oh, I had a dream about you. Did you? Someone says that to you. Did you? All right. What was it about? What does it mean? You're drawn in. Just be careful. Test what they're saying. Is it biblical? Does the person who's bringing you this, does their character stack up? Not everything that looks spiritual is spiritual. So, what are some of the things that they are teaching? It would help if I could get the last page out. (laughs) There we go. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 explains how we l- people would love to turn to this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But Paul's saying, but you, keep your head in all situations. Do the work of evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Uh, Endure hardship as well. People are going to want to turn to things 
to people who say what they want to hear. For example, no one wants to hear that those people who die without repenting, without following Jesus, without having their sins forgiven, without walking the narrow way, no one wants to hear that those people will be destined for destruction. So any book or preacher who says, actually, I've discovered, I've had revelation, this isn't going to be the case. It's not like that, really. God's a God of love. God's love will win. They're going to get a following. They're going to get a following. People will want to hear that God sent his son to die for them because you're so valuable to him. You're so lovable to him. And the emphasis will be not on God's greatness, but it will be on our greatness. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course God sent his son, Jesus, to die. I'm not thinking about the implications of that, but it's all because he loved me, because I'm so lovable, because I'm so wonderful. They want to hear that rather than how amazing God's love is because we were totally undeserving, because we were absolutely sinful, because there is no way we could stand before God. Outside of that, we would only face his wrath and his anger because he is so holy. Which message are people going to want to hear? They're not going to want to hear the one which is telling us how bad we are. They want to hear the one that's going to tell us how good we are. You know, it's not that these biblical, these teachers and preachers aren't preaching some biblical truth, because that would be easy for us to spot if there's no biblical truth. It's just that they're only teaching selectively from the Bible. So they'll preach on God's love, but not on his holiness and not on his judgment. And they'll emphasize the gifts that God pours out on us, but they won't necessarily say they're to encourage and strengthen each other through hardship and through walking the narrow path. And as Arnold was saying, they'll bring the encouraging prophecies which promise an exciting new life where we'll be influencing many people, but not those which warn us or rebuke us or which strengthen us through the coming storms, or the storms that we might be going through. So this little interlude here is a serious warning which Jesus is bringing to his followers, to us. He is setting out some clear paths in this Sermon on the Mount for a response to his message. He's saying the road which we must walk, if we're to follow Christ, is narrow. There will be difficulty ahead. There will be opposition People will not like what we say. There will be persecution. And the true follower of Jesus will face it, knowing God's strength and knowing the encouragement of other believers as we meet and we encourage each other in the truth. Jesus is very aware that there are those who will try and persuade us that this isn't the case. And we must be aware that these people are out there. And we must watch that we're not taken in by this deception. And we must hold on to the truth of God's word. The whole of God's word. Not selective parts. As we seek to walk this narrow road. Knowing that actually God is with us all the way. As Dan reminded us last week. The gospel really is good news. And you might be thinking, I don't know. It is good news. It is good news. But we need to hear God's verdict on our lives before we can see the good news for what it is. 
It's not great news. It's not as good news if we just, if we just think, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, we're lovable. God died for us. Jesus died for me. Shows how, much we, how great I am. That's not great news. That's just making you feel better about yourself. But the good news is that we deserved nothing. We deserve nothing, and yet God gives us everything. He gives us everything. He pours out his grace on our lives. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us mercy. He gives us new life. He pours out the Holy Spirit into us to give us power to change our lives, to power to walk the narrow path. He gives us joy in our hearts through the hardest of times. He gives us an eternal destiny, a hope that we will never be apart from Jesus and God. We will never be separated from him in the way that Jesus was separated on the cross. We will never have to face that because Jesus has faced it for us. And our eternal destiny will be sure that when we die, death will have no sting because we will be with the Father. And ultimately, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that we will be ruling and reigning with God in. And this is just a short period of time that we are in now. The good news is great news. But it's not the false good news that some would try and fool people with. That will actually ultimately lead to destruction. We all stand condemned before God in our sinful self-centeredness. Yet Jesus has died to take the punishment for that sin, and he has risen again to bring us a new eternal life. And to embrace that, we must walk the narrow way. We must leave our old lives behind, recognizing there's a far greater treasure that we have seen now. Far greater treasure than anything we could have ever had before. And we say, actually, we don't want that anymore. That stuff, do you know, it's just not important. And I'm going to walk this narrow way, knowing that there's going to be riches and blessings poured out for eternity on my life. Let's pray.